0: Our text today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Hear the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light is in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, be to God indeed. Please be seated. It's interesting to me which sermons are more difficult to write and get started than others. I have a, a studying and kind of writing process that I follow week to week. And it's, it's like the kick-starting on the bike. Once, once the kick-starting goes, especially on writing, it's usually easy because I, I, I study and I pray and then I pray more. And then I write some notes throughout the week. And then usually near the, the tail end of the week, I write the sermon. And sometimes... The thoughts from, through the Spirit flow very easily, and other times they're a little more difficult. And it always seems to me that they're more difficult when it's sermons that cut even deeper into my own heart. And there was a, a Puritan that once said that we must, reformer that said we must preach this to ourselves before we preach it to other people. And I probably had trouble with this one because this particular passage is an area in my life that I struggled with for a very long time. Those of you that have been around for some time know that I had a very unhealthy relationship with money and physical things in this world. I was obsessed with, I idolized money and possessions. If you were psychologists, you could probably dig into some of the reasons for this. Probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that my dad grew up in poverty he saw money as his savior, as his salvation, that having money in the bank, that that security storing it away would provide him salvation. I think that the more money he had in the bank, probably the better off that he felt. He was definitely sinful with money, but he wasn't reckless. My father was most certainly not reckless with it. My problem was I was sinful with money and I was also reckless with money. My eyes and my heart had led me down paths at different times in my life that really idolized status, wealth, money, power, and then because of that, I seemed to waste away most of it. I was not healthy when it came to money. Thankfully, the Lord and His infinite wisdom, and because I think He has an incredible sense of humor, connected me with some of the wealthiest people in the world. And I spent countless hours side by side with people whose net wealth exceeded the gross domestic product of many countries. I have seen firsthand what unlimited means can get you and where it can point your heart and your eyes. But I do believe, without speaking for the Lord, that God took me down that path. One of my own idolatry of things and wealth, and also spending time with these people, wealth firsthand... The, the wealth that some people can only dream about, most people only dream about, so that He could right-size my heart when it came to money and idolatry and masters. And so that's what I want to talk about today as we work, continue to work through Matthew, is I want to talk about money. And you may know this, or you may not know this, but money is discussed more than any other topic in the Bible. There are commands about giving— There are warnings, plenty of warnings about money. Why is there so much attention to money? Well, as we're going to see, it's because it is easy to make money our idol and ultimately to become a slave to money. And I have seen people, I have been one of them who has been a slave to money, and maybe you have been in this same place too. The good news all weeks, is that Jesus gives us clear directives on how to handle our life here. He gives us clear directives on what to do with our money and what not to do with it. So with that, let's dive right in. Verses 19 and 20 again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." So Jesus gives us two contrasting statements, what we are to do, well, what we aren't to do, I should say, and what we are to do. And so I want to look at what we shouldn't do first before we look at what we should do. Verse 19 again, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Treasures. The other day I walked by the TV room and the kids were watching Pirates of the Caribbean and you can't think about treasures without thinking about Jack Sparrow. And Jack Sparrow collecting all of his treasure his obsession with treasure. But treasure is more than just the treasure and the booty that that the, the chest full of gold that Jack Sparrow was chasing. Treasure here means anything in our material world that we we store up that we hoard and that we ultimately idolize. And it's, of course, easy to associate this with money, just like my dad did, just like I did. But there are so many other things that we treat as treasures here in this world that we hoard. We especially do this with our material possessions, especially now in our consumerist-driven society. And last week, if you weren't here, you can listen to on the podcast, I talked about the sin of consumerism, the idolization of things that leads us into a consumerist lifestyle. Do you, remember, uh, do you guys remember television, the old-fashioned television that had commercials before TiVo? You younger folks, there was a time with TV where you couldn't pause it or fast-forward it unless you put it on a VHS cassette tape and then watched it back afterwards. But that was tricky too, because the clock on your VCR had to match the clock in the house Remember, you'd have to start, this is totally off base, but it's just an old man moment. You'd have to start the time, like if you had a 7 o'clock show, I used to love cops. So I used to tape cops, and it was on like 7 o'clock. But you'd start it at 6.55, and then you'd record it to 7.35, because you didn't know. But back in the old days, television had these things called advertisements on them. I'm assuming that they're still on TV, but I have mostly given up on television. And and these advertisements would convince you of things. They would tell you that you needed a newer car or a bigger home or a better phone or every kiss begins with K. Whatever the treasure that you may need, that ad was going to tell you that you had to have that. That your life would not be okay without this particular item in your life. Look at these people. Look how happy they are. They've got a puppy and they're running on the beach. Those were probably pharmaceutical ads, though. And the other three and a half minutes are going to tell you about the side effects. Also, those are evil, too. But the whole idea was to show you how much better this person's life would be with this thing that they've purchased, and your life will be incomplete without it. Unfortunately, we get the same thing now. We get through social media and the advertising that takes on there. But you you see, it's bigger than just the ad. What it is about, it's about the emotional connection, the emotional ties that we end up having to our treasures, the collection of things. I used to collect patches. I had this compulsion to buy patches and then hang them on a patch board in my office. Why? I treated it like a treasure. My old boss collected cars hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cars probably one of the largest privately held car collections in the world and I asked him once I said why do you collect all these cars and he said well because these were my favorite type of cars when I was a kid and now that I have the material wealth I want to own them all. So his treasure was in his material things in these cars. He was defined by them. I was defined by mine. T-shirts and patches and, and I had this fancy blue car that I really liked. It was fast. I was very defined by that fancy blue car. And then at one point I signed up for these clubs that would send you boxes of goodies every month. There was like a survival club, and they'd send you survival stuff. And there was like a gun club, and they would not send you guns, but gun parts and things that you would like in the gun community. And then there was a meat club that would send you meat every month, and that one was actually pretty cool. But every month you would get this random box of crap in the mail that you didn't actually need. It was Kristen, after we had gotten married and we moved in together, I had all of the stuff that is now our TV room that was our garage back then. Boxes of stuff, and I think she had said something like, hey, when was the last time you opened any of the boxes? And I was like, I don't know, a year ago. She like, you probably get rid of that. And it was all boxes of boxes of crap that had been mailed to my house because I had bought into this idea, like, wouldn't it be cool if I got some random cool uh, gun things or random cool meat boxes every single month? But that's all it was. It was just crap to accumulate in the garage. It was literally just stacking high on boxes, the accumulation of the stuff, because I had the means to purchase the stuff. They were just treasures on earth, things that would literally rust away. One of the things I find is interesting, because you guys know how much I love words, is that the word that Matthew uses for rust, it literally means to eat away at. So all of these things, my boss's cars, my desire for more stuff, it all wears away. It all rusts. It is all eaten away eventually. My mom has some friends that have a second home on Sanibel Island it's down Florida, and it's a beautiful home, second home. One storm destroyed it, gone. Most of that island, gone, moth and rust. Things of this world get eaten away. If you leave your fancy car, too long what happens to it it rusts and it gets eaten away especially if you leave it in a human uh, climate what happens to houses with no care they crumble buildings with no care they crumble what happens to your iPhone eventually it dies our dishwasher our dishwasher died we're not replacing it though which is great we got a cool rack and we're hand washing dishes I totally encourage you all to do that but think about shirts shirts get holes in them Jeans get holes in them, shoes eventually wear out, bank accounts can get cleaned out, currency can be devalued. It's another happy pick-me-up sermon from Pastor Craig. But Solomon gave us a clue of this, and we all studied Ecclesiastes last year. In Eccle- the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, 10 through 11, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, And this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All was vanity. All of these worldly treasures, all of these possessions. Solomon was like my old boss. He could buy anything that he wanted. But what's funny about it is, The reason this becomes problematic for us, and and we're going to talk about the heart in just a little bit, is it's because of where we put our trust. We put so much trust in all of these things. The new pair of sneakers, the best North Face jacket, a faster car, a bigger house, more stuff. It's vanity. See, Jesus is giving us a warning about these items as well, but it is an even deeper warning than, than Solomon gave us in Ecclesiastes. Both Solomon and Jesus are reminding us that all of this will perish. Every single one, every single thing here, even your most favorite physical thing here will perish. But it's even greater than just the physical things. It's it's not just about how these physical things perish. It's about our hearts with these things. Look at how many fights, wars, lawsuits... A lawyer friend of mine was telling me about a lawsuit they were involved in. This is just recently over some land and deals that had already been done. And then the land appraised for greater value years later. And the other party who was already done with it now wants a percentage of this because of greed. Because of laying up hope in the treasures on earth. What about thieves? We have a theft problem. It's an interesting correlation, if you defund the police, crime also goes up, nonetheless. Thieves steal things that are not theirs. And what do they do? Why do they do it? Well, they do it for a couple of reasons. They do it because they have, somebody else has something that they want. And the second reason is, somebody else has something, not that they want, but they can use to get the other thing that they want. I left my car unlocked last year, it's my own fault. And someone went through the car and they took a couple debit cards and some stuff that I had in the center console. And they ran the debit cards to Home Depot and bought $500 gift cards at Home Depot. When I talked to the credit card company about it, they said, well, the reason they do this is then they sell them for $250. I'll buy this with your debit card that I stole and then I'll sell it to you for $250. They are using my thing to get something else that they need. This is why people get so upset when their stuff is gone, when their house is gone. And that is exactly why Jesus is telling us not to treasure up the treasures for ourselves. But there is an important caveat. The important caveat is Jesus is not telling you to live a life of poverty. He is not telling you that you cannot be wealthy. Matthew 6.20 But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break break in and steal. See, what he's telling us is that we must lay up our treasures in the right place. We must make our investments in the right place. We must put our things in the place that is free of moth and free of rust and free of things breaking down and being destroyed. What is that place? That place is heaven. Or, depending on how you translate that word, an elevated place. So how does one store up treasures in heaven? How does one elevate their treasures? The back of the building here, is there a pneumatic tube that you can stick your stuff in and then you can pneumatically send it right to heaven? No, obviously not. What about maybe we could open the Christchurch storage facility? You guys could come store up your stuff. Definitely guaranteed to be moth and rust free, only to serve God's kingdom. Obviously not. So what gives? Well, we have to think back to what Jesus is telling us not to do before we can figure out how to do what he's going to tell us to do. What he is telling us not to do is to be storing up treasures for ourselves. Nowhere did he tell you not to acquire anything. Nowhere did he tell you not to be wealthy. What he told you is don't hoard. Don't stockpile for yourselves. Don't be selfish. It kind of always comes back to that, doesn't it? What he says is that we must be storing up things that are valuable in the right place and using them in the right way. You see, there's a difference, a big difference, between responsible financial planning so that you can care for your family, your children, your children's children, God's kingdom, versus hoarding your wealth so that you can live and bask in pride at how wealthy you are and have all the things. See what jesus is telling you is that we must invest but we must invest in the right things with the right heart and we'll get to heart in just a little bit and in fact i may say something here again that would be a little bit edgy and may cause other people a little bit of concern i want you all to be financially wealthy this is not prosperity gospel this is not if you donate twenty dollars you get forty dollars that's not what i am saying but I do mean that. I want you all to be financially successful. I would love if everybody here were people of great financial means. I also want you, if that is not God's calling on your heart, to be totally content in the place that God has you. But I do support the financial success of Christians. Let me explain. Proverbs thirteen twenty two, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. See, I want us to be as a church body, as Christians, to be people that leave inheritances not just for our kids, but our children's children. I want our children to be focused on their children's children, on on building up wealth and inheritance multiple generations. This is, part of this is financial wealth. But the other part of wealth is godly wisdom, Treasures that are to be laid up, to be elevated for the growth of God's kingdom. You see, we want to lay the groundwork for successful generations of Christians to come. We are optimists. We are people who are called to build God's kingdom here. We want them to have the means not just to live, but to live a vibrant and joyous Christian life. And they can't build God's kingdom, and we can't build God's kingdom if we are not living a vibrant and joyful life. We as Christians are called to build Christendom. We are called to baptize and disciple people of of all where. Where are we supposed to baptize people where? Just here? All nations everywhere the great commission your marching orders as christians are to disciple and baptize people of all nations we are called to bring god's kingdom here and now and how do we do that we do that with the resources and the gifts that god has gloriously given us 1 timothy 6:17 as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. On God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, speaks directly to the, a- the rich of his age, and it applies just as much to us in this present age. Nowhere does he tell them not to be rich. He gives them some warnings. But what he tells them, and he tells us, is not to put our hope in our riches, because there is uncertainty I think I used it as a sermon example already, but I'm gonna use it again. There was a kid somewhere that forgot his Bitcoin hard drive password, do you remember this? And it was like $140 million worth of Bitcoin. This is a couple years ago. And I guess on these hard you know, locked hard drives, there's a certain number of password attempts that you get to try and after that, see you later. So he went from being normal dude, 100 millionaire, Right back to normal, dude, in pretty, in pretty short order. Though somebody I, th- I feel told me that he actually got into the hard drive, but the story is better if he didn't. So we're going to pretend like now he didn't, because riches can go away. Look at all the guys that got rich when, when the dot com bubble. I mean, those of you are old enough to remember that, tons of guys. the The dot com era was moving on. People were building these industries, building these websites. Everybody was getting really rich, really quick. And then what happened? A lot of those guys got really broke, really, really quick. We see this in our present day all the time, that people put their hope in their money, they put their hope in their investment portfolios, they put their hope in their stuff in the house that they have in their house, and eventually it decays and it dies. And so it's no wonder, truthfully, that people are constantly living in fear and hostility. But as always, and it's good news, thank God, that God doesn't leave us in that space, right? He doesn't leave us in a space where we're gonna be in fear and anxiety of our worldly treasures, He tells us to invest where it matters, to put our hope in God, the God who provides us everything to enjoy, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Later in Matthew, Jesus is going to tell us that we have to sell our possessions to follow him. And he's going to use that example for us to remind us that we should be more attached to his kingdom than we are to the worldly possessions in our kingdom. However... If we have means, which I would argue most of us in the U.S. do, then we need to be shepherding those means for the growth of God's kingdom. And that's why wealth by itself isn't a bad thing. Having resources isn't a bad thing. Just like anything, it's how they're used. Is it used righteously or is it used unrighteously? Are, they, are these gifts and resources being used to advance God's kingdom? Or are you hoarding them away for your own selfish gain? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. not that's like the truth bomb. That's the mic drop moment. You just walk off the stage. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our treasure is shows where our heart is. Is that not so true for all of us? Last week, we talked about appetites. Where our appetites also show where our heart is, where our treasures are. There is no difference. If our treasure is God's kingdom and our active role in it, then our hearts are going to reflect that. If our treasure is stuff and money and fame and prestige and the idols of this age, our heart will show that also. Because what happens is our actions follow our heart. Because ultimately our actions matter. Now, we know we are not saved by works. We are saved by our faith in Jesus alone. But our faith should change us, should grow us, and our actions become the fruits of our faith. They become the external way in which people know that we are Christians. So how we use our resources, how we use and shepherd what God has provided us, our lot matters. And that does make practical sense as well, doesn't it? Because if your heart is is set on collecting all of the expensive rare cars from a particular era, how are you going to spend your time and your resources? Well, you're probably gonna buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cars. You're gonna pay for people to care for them. You're gonna have warehouses in other states so they can sit there long enough to deal with tax liability. You're going to build an enterprise around your car collection. What if you wanted to collect hot sauce? Now, you may, you may say, Craig, why hot sauce? I made a mistake, family. I googled the weirdest things that people collect. Don't do that. Barf bags were on there. I only pray that people collect empty barf bags and not full ones. But the least of the offensive collectible things outside of barf bags I could find was hot sauce. So let's, let's play make believe and pretend like you collect hot sauce. So you're probably going to spend your days and nights buying and making and tasting and judging and researching hot sauce. What if your nest egg is your most important treasure? So you're going to work two jobs, and you save, and you buy some real estate, and then you save and you save and you save, and you you pour over the Wall Street Journal day in and day out. I do enjoy reading the Wall Street Journal. But you pour over it day in and day out to get the latest tips, the latest stock information, the crypto information. It can be any number of things all of which will rust and be eaten away. Because that garage that holds your car collection, it could burn down. You could lose your taste buds, and you could never enjoy hot sauce again, which would be a terrible tragedy. You could have saved and saved at the expense of everything else in your life, at the expense of family and friendship and relationships, and you could get hit by a bus two days before you retire, and none of that was any good. And if you like all these practical happy tips, come back next week for more. But you get the point, right? You get the point. It's just like Solomon spoke in Ecclesiastes. If we invest in our earthly treasures, it will be vanity. All of it is vanity. All of it rots away. Where our hearts are focused and how we shepherd our treasures matter. Our affections and our appetites matter. But the good news is there's the other side of it too. Because if our heart is for the Lord, if he is the object of our affection, if he is the object of our greatest desire, and you you feel called. You are a Christian, so you're going to follow his marching orders to bring and build his kingdom here on earth. How are you going to spend your resources? Well, you're going to invest in things that provide an inheritance for your kids' kids, and some of that will be financial. Some of it also is going to be non-financial. Maybe you're going to train skills to your kids. You, you teach them how to invest in real estate. You teach them entrepreneurship, how not to be a slave to someone else, to be able to build enterprises to work for themselves. And some of it may just be a good old-fashioned inheritance that you leave to them and their other children. But here's where the difference is. The, the prototype that you hear commonly in culture is when people pass away, unfortunately, how much you get, what are you going to do with it? That's not even a question in our Christian communities because that, that, that is, is a, a negative view. Oh, I got something. I'm going to go spend it on me. The financial inheritance that we want left to responsible believers is one that we trust that they will also care and also shepherd to also continue to build wealth for their kids' kids for the glory of God's kingdom. It's a, it's a model of financial responsibility, of worldly responsibility with our possessions that we are to shepherd with Jesus Christ at the helm. But like I said, it's bigger than just money. It's wisdom, it's education, it's discipleship. You are investing your time and your money on the highest yield investment ever in the history of mankind, and that is God's kingdom. You do this internal to your home, and you do this externally in the way you give your tithes and offerings to the people that you give tithes and offerings to. You are literally putting your money where your mouth is. You are putting your money where your heart is. You're putting your time and your energy in the right area, investing them for the growth of God's kingdom. So why? Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is is darkness, how great is the darkness. See, our hearts are tied to our affections, which then makes our eyes the lamps of the body. That's where the term, it's actually a Jewish term, giving someone the evil eye comes from. If our eyes are looking at the right things, if they're feasting on the right things, which are the Lord and the treasures that are with him, that are elevated, that are in heaven, then our whole body, our whole existence becomes light. And that actually makes sense. Have you ever heard the term blinded by wealth? What about blinded by rage? Maybe some of you have experienced blinded by rage. I have. Thank God God has worked in my heart. What about when we say somebody has a wandering eye? Means they're looking outside of things they really should be looking at. That could be lust, it could be envy, it could be pride. We're aware of, why, of these references, these metaphors of the eye. They're part of our common vernacular. The point is, if our eye is set on things other than the Lord and His grace, then we will make that other thing our Lord. A bad eye always leads to a selfish heart. Our eye ends up in darkness, leaving our heart in, great, in, in a great shadow, even though it may not feel to us that way at the moment and this is why this is what it really boils down to verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money you've also may have heard people say you cannot serve god and mammon and that, that, that's why, the reason why is because the word used, the Greek word used in that sentence for money is mammon. And it's only used four times in the, in the New Testament. It's used once in Matthew and three times in Luke. Luke 16, 9, and 11, it refers to unrighteous wealth. And then in verse 13, it says almost the exact same thing that we just read in Matthew. 16:13 from Luke. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. It actually seems very clear what Jesus is telling us. You cannot serve God and money. But it's deeper. Because if we look at the word that is used for master, it's a word that we we think we understand. We think we understand this idea of master. But as I was praying and prepping for this, what stuck out to me is I don't really think we really understand what it means to have a master master. The word for master in Greek is kyrios, and this word is the word that you would use for somebody that was the master of a slave, someone that has control over another, someone that has total authority, total control. This is the slave master. The reason that word is used is because we are all slaves. Now that can sound a little bit uncomfortable. But it is true. We are all slaves. We are slaves to what we worship, and everybody worships something. We were designed in the image of God to be creatures that worship. When you leave this place today and you're walking out here, maybe we're interacting with the folks outside, or we're interacting in our lives outside here, watch what the pagans worship. Watch what your heart also worships. Something that we worship is the thing that has total authority over us. That's why we worship it. So, that thing could be consumerism. It could be athleticism. We see this in Colorado a lot the the worship of the outside. That our sports and our activities, the climbing of the 14ers, becomes the God of the people of Colorado. That doesn't mean climbing 14ers are bad. It just depends on where it sits in our heart. It could be climbing corporate ladders, it can be stuff. It could be prestige it could most certainly be money you see I have firsthand experience of this which is why it was difficult at the beginning for me to write this sermon I was a slave to money in my career in this really ugly way for a really long time but see it didn't look ugly but my eye was dark there was darkness inside of me I was deceived and it's an important time to remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, the fact that darkness will try to disguise itself as light. Paul says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, I was a slave to my career because I was a slave to money. Having more meant better status. It meant a bigger house. It meant better security. It, it meant my own salvation in my head. And then on top of it, I was praised and rewarded culturally for how hard that I had worked. Every promotion, every new responsibility, so many pats on the back, so many congratulations. And don't forget how impressive my resume was getting too. I got degrees and I got certifications. I had jobs at notable places. I got to rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world, la-ti-da. I even ate dinner at their table, breakfast sometimes too. But you want to know what I wasn't doing well during these 15 years, give or take? I wasn't leading my family. I wasn't raising my children. I wasn't loving my wife. I wasn't actually doing any of the things I was supposed to be doing. I was dead in darkness that was masquerading itself as light. I was chasing all of these things that would eventually rot, that would eventually be eaten away, that moths would eventually get to. I just read this novel. It was a total trash novel, super fast read. It's about a book about an airline pilot's family who's taken hostage. And then this terrorist gives a decision. You crash. He's flying the plane. You crash the plane, and I save your family. Or you don't crash the plane and save the people, and I kill your family. It was written by a friend of a friend, so I read it. It's an easy write. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. But here's what stuck out of me out of the whole thing. At the very beginning of the story, it starts with the pilot getting getting called into work on his hard day off. And he's supposed to be home with his son. It's like a big t-ball or a big baseball game, kind of like the game that he's supposed to be there. But the chief pilot calls. And he says to his wife, <laughs> this hurts my soul to say this because it was me. When the chief pilot calls, you can't say no. It was me. One year, one year on Christmas Day, the guy that I worked for two companies ago when I was flying Called me up and was like, you got to get Kern in the other jet. Nobody's flying today at Centennial. Let's go do some landings. It was Christmas Day. Do you know what I did? I went and did the landings. Do you know how insane that is? I, I, I left my family to go fly an airplane that I didn't need to fly on Christmas Day. It's like five years ago. It's insane. I was that guy. You can't say no when the chief pilot calls. That's, uh, that's the big deal, honey. You, know, he's, that's, you, can't, you can't do that. Why? Because he's a slave to his job and I was a slave to my job. What good is crazy amounts of money if you're using it for the wrong things and then it takes you away from the right things? This is harder, men, for us than it is for women, by the way. Especially because God designed us for work. You see, you're either a slave to God or you're a slave to mammon. It's really just that simple. The good news for me was the real chief pilot, God, called me home in december of 2019 which is why i'm here now he changed my life to help me get my priorities straight for my appetite to be for christ alone now your story doesn't have to look the same way i am not telling you that you can't work your job i'm not telling you to go quit some of you maybe need to quit i'm not saying that depends on your situation what i'm telling you is you must evaluate who your real boss is That who is your master? To make sure that when you show up at work, that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're using the resources that it provides you for the building of God's kingdom. What I'm telling you is we have to ensure who we are a slave to. That we are a slave to God and not to mammon. We're called to work. That's okay. Work is good. We are not called to be slaves to our work. It's so a sidebar. Sophia watches a lot of Matt Walsh. It's pretty great. I wish he wasn't Catholic. He might have a little more joy. We'll get him there. We'll send him, we'll send him some, I don't know what we'll send him. We'll send him some Fight, Laugh, feast, feast magazines or something. But they were talking about Commander Elon getting ready to take over Twitter. And Sophia was playing this video. We, we were watching it somewhere. I feel like you were playing I don't know. But it was this woman like showing her day in the life at Twitter. And It was everything that I had been at like two companies ago. Oh and here's the, the yoga room where I get to do yoga and oh my gosh the food's so great, I get breakfast, lunch, and dinner and the wine machine's over here and I go outside and I get to go play some cornhole after work and if I'm having a little bit of a stressful time I get to sit in a quiet room and it's just so great being part of the Twitter family. If you'd asked me three years ago, I'd be like, that is a really wonderful workplace. You should definitely want to work It's so, well, maybe I wouldn't have said that to Twitter, but you know what I mean. Like, they, we like these perks, but think about what those perks are designed to do. They're to keep you in that building, to keep you as a slave to that place you're working for. They're providing you all of the comforts that you're supposed to get outside of work in one building, so you never have to leave. That's why companies will provide you childcare there. Well, hey, you, We can just lock you in. We're going to feed you can educate your children for you. We'll give you all these great perks, and people go I'm like, "Man, I had a rough day at work today. I lost three games of cornhole." The priorities are backwards. You should, if God willing, you can. It's great when you get to enjoy what you do. But you can make any job enjoyable if you're doing it for the right reasons. Go back and ask your, for those of you that have grandparents that are still around, ask them if they liked what they did for a living. They will look at you funny because that's not even a question that's par, part of the reason you go to work. You can see how we've changed our priorities and who we want to be a slave to. I don't ever want to work for a company that tells me I'm part of their family. It's a relatively new thing for me, but it, it, it's sticking in my head a lot because I'm thinking about what we're called to do as building real families. Families that are for a thousand generations. Families where our children's children are being raised up in the love and the awe and the fear of the Lord. That's why we have to ensure that we're Christ's slave and not Mammon's slave. Because if we're a slave of Christ, everything else in your life will fall into its appropriate order. Your heart becomes focused on your heavenly treasure. You get to elevate and enjoy your work in a totally different way because your work and what you get, and, and especially for those of us in the room that, that are pilots, that, that's an incredible gift to go do. You get to sit in a chair and look at God's creation for miles and miles and miles above the earth. And you get to go in a time machine for work. You get to get to places that your ancestors, like 100 years ago, couldn't get to unless maybe somebody died of dysentery on the way. It's really cool. There's nowhere on this planet that you can't get to in an airplane in less than 24 hours. That's out of this world, it's pretty rad but it can't be your identity. But it can be for a a glorious way for you to enjoy and serve the Lord and taste and see that all that he has is good. Same with you guys and owning your own business. What a glory that is in the way you get to shepherd people. You helping folks, helping the sick, helping the sick. Not being defined by what we do, but using what we do to serve the greater good. We're elevating work to ensure that our work is kingdom work. It's keeping our eyes healthy, it's keeping our hearts healthy, and it's laying up treasure that cannot rust. You're investing it in Christ's kingdom. You're investing it in the generations that will come after you. So as we wrap up, a couple things that I want you to keep in mind. Different seasons in your life will give you different resources. Sometimes it might be material wealth and and the fact that you may be very prosperous wealth in riches, physical, actual riches. And sometimes it may not be. Sometimes it may be when you don't make a lot of money, but God is giving you richness in other places as well. You see, in times of plenty, it's easy to give. And in times of scarcity, you may have to find yourself in a position to receive. You need to be content with your lot as it is at this very moment. And you need to be using that lot to shepherd and provide. For example, if you're a husband, you need to provide, not just for your wife, but for your kids' kids. 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are obligated to save for their parents, but parents for their children. And of course, that Proverbs thirteen twenty two: A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You need to be saving up and investing for them, not just in the material things, but especially in the things of wisdom. Ladies, it applies to you as well. You are called to be a productive Proverbs 31 woman, seeking wool and flax and working with willing hands, creating uh, creating economies, having profitable merchandise, opening your hands to the poor and giving to the needy. If you, ladies, and men too, if you have not read Proverbs 31 in a minute, you should go do that today. The godly woman is such a beautiful woman. We see how men and women get to work together to build productive economies and to do it for the glory of God's kingdom. And when when this happens, when we build productive economies, when we invest in the things of, of heaven, lay our treasures up in heaven, and when we do it for the glory of God, we are literally an unstoppable force. We're like an unstoppable force of joy because of where we're investing our time and our resources and our wealth. We are literally elevating our work here it cannot rust, it cannot rot, it cannot be eaten up. Instead, it is the investment that will yield us the highest return ever. It is the investment that is based upon the one who crushed the devil's head, the one who will come again, the one who is full of grace, light, righteousness, and peace. Or as John says in 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he has made for us, for us eternal life. Nothing can beat that. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, we pray to impress it upon our hearts and our minds and our lives as we leave this place and we we go into the world as lights for your kingdom. Lord, bless us. Bless us that we be good stewards of the gifts that you have given us that we can be a light to nations that we will baptize and disciple all that we meet and we will do this all while investing in your kingdom for your glory lord help our hearts be removed from envy and pride and selfishness and hoarding when it comes to our resources and our wealth lord let us pray as you continue to give us resources that we can shepherd them well and use them for your glory all of this we pray in your mighty name. Amen.